Continuing the study of 1 Samuel, we find ourselves uh, in, in part two of 1 Samuel, part, uh, the second recording, on page 113 in Benware. The ministry of Samuel, um, chapters 4 through 717, and so we're still uh, in the first outline point, Samuel is judge and prophet in Israel. So we see the ministry of Samuel. Samuel was the key man in holding Israel together during the final discouraging days of the theocracy, but even though some tragic events occurred, military defeats, capture of the ark in chapter 4, 1 through 11, which is very interesting and worth reading, Samuel led the nation back to the Lord and into the times of moral victory. In fact, let's let's take a minute and look at the Philistines and the ark. Um, you can see that in chapter 4. Uh, we already looked at the Philistines winning, and they took the ark of the Lord. Verse 4, So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who's enthroned on the cherubim. And the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And they learned that the Ark had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has ever happened. Skip down to verse 9. Take courage. And the men of O Philistines, and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews. Verse 10. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and there was a great slaughter. Thirty thousand foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured. And it's at this time that Eli, who they say was very heavy, he when he heard that the ark, verse 14 of chapter 4, when he heard that it was uh, that the ark had been taken, and Eli was quite old, it says ninety-eight years. Um, verse eighteen: As soon as it, as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat at the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy; he judged Israel forty years. So Eli, the one who had mentored Samuel. Dies, but nothing was to be normal about taking the Ark of God. And this famous um, saying, um, Ichabod, the glory has departed, happens here at this place. Uh, let's see, verse 19. The daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, about to give birth, and when she heard the news that the Ark was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead... Because Phineas died as well. She bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And at the time of her death, the woman, women attending her said, Don't be afraid, for you've given birth to a son. But she did not pay attention. She named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed, because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband, the glory has departed, which is what Ichabod means. And now the Philistines chapter 5, they worshipped the, the god Dagon, and something of a, of a funny thing happens um, in that over and over and over, 
morning by morning, Dacon falls face down before the Ark of the Lord. And so the Philistines notice uh, this is not normal. Verse 8 of chapter 5, rather verse 6 of chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors. That's where, of course, the Ark was being held. And when the men of Ashdod saw these things, they said, The Ark of God must not remain with us. For his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. And so they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of God? And they returned it in chapter 6. Now, one of the reasons to mention this and to talk through it is because Israel went to battle with the Philistines as if the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, was a good luck charm. They were, as it were, acting like some sort of um, witch doctor or sangoma and saying, not, not that they were sangomas or witch doctors, however, they were acting in such a way because they were bringing a good luck charm to a battle, expecting that God, because the Ark of the Covenant was there, that God wouldn't allow them to fail. They misunderstood the law. They were to follow the Lord and to be a holy nation, and God would deliver them. But because they were sinning, because they were not worshiping as they ought, then God wasn't going to bless them. You know, just because they carried the ark out in front of them for the battle, that didn't do anything in terms of winning the battle. And so Israel is yelling there in chapter 4 and celebrating that the ark had come into the camp because they saw that with the ark, with their, as it were, good luck amulet or good luck charm, that somehow that that would guarantee victory. And they totally misunderstood God's purposes and God's ways. Rather than bringing in the ark of the covenant, they needed to get on their face before God and repent of their sins and ask him for mercy and seek his face and determine what ought we to do. And they should have done that. And rather, they simply chose their own way, a way that was not given in the law. And so they were defeated. And we have that sad history. Now we get into the second part of the outline of Samuel, where you have the, the first king of Israel in chapter 8. And Saul is everything that you would want in a king. He's, as it were, a great warrior. He's tall. He's strong. He seems like he'd be a good diplomat. He is, uh, looks like a prototypical king would look. And the people demand a king. Chapter 8, verse 1, we find ourselves with that. And let's, let's read it from Ben Ware, page 114. On several occasions in the era of the theocracy, the people of Israel had seriously considered the idea of having an earthly king, Judges 8, verse 22, Judges 9, verse 6. But the idea blossomed into reality when Samuel became quite old. It appeared to the elders of Israel that it was time to make a move to a monarchy. This is in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. The matter was displeasing to Samuel, and it was offensive to the Lord. It must be noted that the idea of a king 
was within the plan of God. You can look back to Deuteronomy 7, verses 14 through 20. But on this occasion, the demand for a king was wrong for two basic reasons. First, the demand was premature. When God was ready to give them a king, he would do so. Maybe David, maybe Messiah. But secondly, the demand for a king was wrong because their attitude was wrong. Samuel's opposition was a condemnation of the people's spirit and motives for requesting a king. They wished to be like all the nations in having a king. It was also a tacit statement of disbelief in the power and presence of God. They wanted a king to go before them and to fight their battles. By the way, there's a sense in which they wanted the Ark of the Covenant to help them in battle, and now they simply switch it to, well, now we need a king. And they're failing to realize that God is the one who uses battle. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the Lord our God. I believe that's Joshua who said that. I could be wrong. But um, this is the... This is the, what, what ends up happening is that they're seeking for a king so that they can be like the other nations. Bottom of page 114, the left-hand column, the Lord offered Samuel comfort by telling him that the nation was not only rejecting Samuel, but rejecting God himself. This rejection of God's rulership climaxed here, but it had been going on throughout the period of the judges. God granted Israel's request and gave them what they wanted, but also warned them of what lay ahead in the new form of government. This change, and we're in the right-hand upper side of page 114, the right-hand column, this change in government called for a heavy taxation of the people under God's best form. There had been no taxes to support a civil government. There was no king or expensive court, no civil programs or authorities. The people could live tax-free, but this was radically changed when they received the monarchy. In this connection, God's instruction to Samuel at the time of the people's request for a king is noteworthy. God wanted the people to realize the unique benefit they had been enjoying under the prescribed theocracy. Now we find ourselves um, in chapter 9, where Saul is anointed king, and we'll pick that up with the next recording.